Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are excited that you came across this message. This sermon you are about to listen to is from our study through the New Testament book of James. If you are joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say welcome to Hope Church. Do us a favor and text NEW TO HOPE to 94090. After you hit send, you'll get an immediate response from our team with a link to a short form that you will fill out so that we can get to know you better. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. I invite you to go ahead and open up your Bibles, whether you're in the room or you're online, to James chapter 3. And as you do that, I want to remind you of a phrase that I personally haven't heard in a while, but I remember hearing it a lot as a kid. Maybe you've heard it. Particularly, I heard it when I was maybe on the, on the playground at school. Or maybe for you it was at the youth group. Or maybe when you and your buddy are going back and forth and, and betting each other that you can't do something, whether you're trying to shoot a basketball or do something. Here's the phrase that I think we all will know. Very popular phrase. If you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk. All right, that's right. If you're going to talk the talk, what is it saying? If you're going to just be over here talking a lot, you better be able to do something about what you're talking about. Now, I grew up here in Las Vegas, and for basically my entire teenage years, I rode a skateboard. Now, I don't know if there's any skateboarders in the house today or online, but uh, it's kind of a dying art. It's kind of sad. There's not as many skateboarders around. I think everyone's just, like, stuck to their iPad or something. But back in the day... There was a lot of skateboarders, and I basically spent my entire childhood and my entire teenage years on a skateboard. And for skateboarders, that was a massive subculture. Some of you guys might remember, like, everywhere you went, there were signs that said no skateboarding. Um, Me and my friends were probably there anyways, and that's just another sermon for another time. But no skateboarding signs were everywhere. Skate shops were everywhere. It was a massive subculture in the early 2000s. And skateboarders actually came up with a phrase or a word to describe these kind of people who talked the talk but didn't walk the walk. It was the lowest form of insult you could possibly give somebody with a skateboard. If you looked at that person and said, man, you're just a poser. Ah, I heard some people. That's right. Let's go. If you called somebody with a skateboard a poser, you just killed part of their soul, okay? It was very, very bad. But here's the deal. I obviously am a self-proclaimed non-poser because I'm making an illustration about posers. I'm a poser now, by the way. I haven't gotten on one of these in about 10 years, and I'm a little afraid to. Don't worry, I'm not going to break any bones. But you could always point out the posers at the skate park. Or maybe we were at a school skateboarding around. You could always point out the posers because here's the deal. They looked the part. They had the shoes, they had the look, they had the hairstyle. They may have been listening to the right music. They had the board. They knew how to hold it. But if you watch the posers, and I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. If you watch these people at the skate park, you notice that they had the look, but they never actually did anything with the skateboard. I mean, every once in a while, you'd see them kind of looking around, and they would kind of roll around. And then they would, hey, man, I didn't break nothing. Oh, all right. Right, they would kind of roll around, but then they would just pop up and kind of put their board here, kind of show off what kind of deck they had. And you're going, I see you look the look, but you don't live what you look like. 
And I love, as a church family, we've been studying through the book of James. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible because here's what James gets right up in our business. As you've seen, if you haven't, I encourage you, if you're here for the first time, we're so glad you're here. If you're online for the first time, go online and listen to the last seven, eight weeks of our James study. James is getting all up in our business and saying, hey, if you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk. Remember who he's writing to as a, as a recap. Oh, he's writing to Jewish Christians who are now Christians, but they came, up of a very, they came up in a very religious society where a lot of people looked really holy. A lot of people looked and said all the right things, but if you actually follow them around, they weren't living like a God follower very much. And James goes there. And last week, if you missed Pastor Vance's message last week, I cannot encourage you highly enough. Unpacked a very popular, sometimes controversial uh, portion of scripture where James says at the end of chapter 2, hey, your faith, if it doesn't include works, is dead. And we had a great statement. I thought Pastor Vance did such a great job. He said this, faith alone saves. And that's where like all of us should be super stoked and say amen. Because if faith alone didn't save, then I have to try to work my way to salvation and I would never make the cut. So faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. What is that? That is the Holy Spirit through James saying, if you're going to talk the talk, the Holy Spirit in you will walk the walk. To put it in skateboard terms, James has spent the last two chapters and now we're busting into chapter three saying, hey, Christians, in Jerusalem, where I'm writing this letter, but also to Hope Church in the room or online. Hey, Christians, don't be posers. Don't be people who look the part, but don't live the part. And today he's going to get really, really practical. I have prayed and this, this message wore me out over the last couple of weeks. And you'll see why here in a minute. But I have prayed that God would take this very practical portion of scripture and really do some work in each and every one of our lives. So, as I said, we're going to look at James chapter 3, the first 12 verses. They're going to be on the screen. Here's what James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 say. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If that's not underlined in your Bible, I go ahead and underline that. Praise God that's in there. We all stumble in many ways. Ain't no perfect people here. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. I don't know if anyone's raising their hand for that, but we'll talk to you later. Able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. They are so great and are driven by strong winds, but are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also... The tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very, look how tense this is. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds, Reptiles, creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth both blessing and cursing. 
My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Again, I love how practical James is. I don't care if you walked in here for the very first time or you logged on there online for the very first time. You don't know anything about Jesus. We just read those verses and you don't have to get a Greek lexicon to unpack what he just said to us. You don't have to know, you don't have to go to seminary to start going, oh, I think I know what he's talking about. James here is talking about the tongue. And obviously we know he's not talking about the little piece of flesh that's in each of our mouths. He's talking about the way you and I speak. The words we say. As we study the book of James, he doesn't just say it right here. There's five chapters in the book of James. And in all five chapters, James has something to say about the way you and I use our words. But again, this is not just a James thing. This is a Bible thing. If you've been reading the Bible for any length of time, you're constantly coming across times where God is poking a little bit to to make sure we're watching our words by the power of his spirit. This is not an isolated thing. It's all over the Bible. I want to give you just a few snapshots of that. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3 says, The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Psalm 141, verse 3, this is the psalmist literally praying to God, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Proverbs 18, 21, look how intense this is. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's a lot what we're going to look at today from the book of James. And Ephesians 4, 29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such as a word for edification. What's that mean? Only words that encourage others. Here's what I want us to see as we begin our time today. The way we speak is no small thing. This is not like, ah, we'll get there one day. If you are a follower of Jesus, the Bible is very clear. We need to watch our words. So today we're going to work our way verse by verse through this scripture. And by doing that, I want to look at three big truths. Here's the first one. Words are powerful. I didn't hear a lot of like, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. That's not a massive, maybe unbelievable, mind-blowing truth, but it's very foundational for our time together today. Words are powerful. I actually chose those three words specifically because I use that phrase in my home all the time. I've shared with you guys before, my wife and I have four kids all in elementary school, and they're all growing up and starting to think they're somebody, and they're starting to use all these words, and I'm like, listen, Girl or boy, words are powerful. I got a nine-year-old girl and an 11-year-old boy, and they're starting to think they're like teenagers or something. And so they're talking all kinds of ways, and I'm like, listen, words are powerful. I'm serious. We say this phrase in our home all the time, but it's not just for my kids. It's for us. Words are powerful. James kicks off this idea about words being powerful, and he really gives a warning to teachers. As you saw there, he, he talks to us as teachers. And, and, and we, we see that he says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that we will incur a stricter judgment. Here is what James is trying to say. You and I are going to answer for the words that we say, the way that we teach. You say, well, sweet, I'm not a teacher. Well, hold on. We, we wrestled this in our teaching team meeting. I believe absolutely 
this has application for formal teachers of the word of God, like I am doing right here, like Pastor Vance does week in and week out here at Hope Church. There is definitely an application. That should be, that should be approached with seriousness every single time. It just happened. As Pastor Teddy was praying, every time I stand before our church or anywhere else I'm teaching, I literally pray the same prayer right before it's time to open my mouth and the lights come on. I say, God, guard my mind against anything unbiblical and guard my mouth against anything unhelpful. Because I understand that I'm talking to a lot of people. There's a bunch of people in the room. There's a bunch of people logging online. Listen, I take this very seriously. The pastors at Hope Church take the teaching of God's word very seriously. And there's definitely application here for that. But you're not off the hook if you've never stood on this stage and preached from the pulpit. In in some ways, we are all teachers. You say, what do you mean? As we were talking about this, I love what Pastor Tom said. I thought I'd throw it on the screen. What is a teacher? Someone who knows God and teaches his word. So if you're a Christian, you have some kids that you do a little Bible study with before they go to bed. If you are a small group leader and you're doing life with people, if you got one guy that you're discipling at Starbucks, if you're a Christian and you are teaching people his word, you are a teacher. You say, what? You got you to give me some more. Jesus himself, right before he went, ascended to heaven, he, he, he was killed on the cross for our sins. He resurrected and he spent about 40 days discipling, talking about the kingdom. And he, right before he ascended into heaven and he was going to sp- send the Holy Spirit for, for the church to begin, he said these words. We, we call it the Great Commission. Here's what it says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. These are our marching orders. What's the next word? Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Listen, if the Great Commission is just for formal pastors, we're in trouble. So that can't mean, hey, only if you stand at a pulpit. So James is onto something here that Jesus is onto. We are all teachers. If you have somebody that's looking up to you spiritually, the Bible says, hey, be careful with the words that you use. Be careful with the words that you use. And then James moves on as he talks about this idea of words being powerful. And he gives us two word pictures. They're kind of strange, but they have a lot of impact. He talks about the, the, the bit in the horse's mouth and also the rudder of a ship. So I want to kind of tease those out and kind of give us this picture. I, I, I said it earlier, I, I did not grow up riding horses, as you could probably tell. Matter of fact, I've never ridden a horse in my life. I'd be deathly afraid to ride a horse. Give me a skateboard all day, not a horse. But I have stood next to a horse. And if you've ever even stood next to a horse, there's just like this holy fear. Like this thing is massive. I, I got a picture of, of a horse here. I mean, that's like a beautiful horse that I found. But like I would probably come up to like right here, right? Like I'm not even close to this horse. And if this horse got a wild hair, this thing could just kick and just end me right there. But then there's this thing that's on the horse's head. It's called the bridle. And you can't see it in this picture, but in that bridle is this thing called a bit. And this massive, honestly dangerous, you see a horse in the wild, don't try to ride it because it doesn't have a bridle. These things are absolutely massive and honestly can be dangerous. But you put that bit in that horse's mouth and you can put a child on that horse and it will be fine. Why? Because they're controlled by a tiny little thing in their mouths. James is going somewhere. Think about a cruise ship. I've been on a cruise. Me and my wife went on a cruise a few years ago. I mean, this massive multi-level ship. If you compare how big the, the cruise ship is to the little rudder, 
It's not even close. But somehow this little rudder got us in and out of a bunch of ports and got us all over the world, right, on this cruise ship by this little tiny thing. What is James saying here? Very small things have very big impact. Very small things that look almost insignificant completely influence and change the direction of something. So James gets up in our business a little bit and he says, listen, Christians, the words you say are powerful. He compares it to the way that bit controls a massive horse or that rudder controls a massive cruise ship. What you say matters. Again, Jesus had a lot to say about words as well. And Jesus was, when he was on the earth, he was teaching about the kingdom. And he has a really famous line that I think is important for this conversation about words. One time he was talking about the power of words. And he wanted us to know it's not just words in and of themselves that are powerful. It's where they come from. And Jesus said, as you, some of you may know, in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, here's what he says. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Another translation says, as the, as the overflow or the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is that saying? You show me somebody who's angry all the time, who's boastful all the time, who's critical all the time. Don't just say, I'm an angry person. That's just how I talk, man. Jesus says, it's not how you talk. It's what's in your heart that's coming out. Listen, this week has wrecked me. <laughs> You want, you want to just be humbled by the way you speak. Just like study a message on the power of words. God will just put some places, his finger in some places in your lives. I'm going to be pretty transparent here in a little bit. But here's what he's saying. Words are powerful. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it has immense power. That's the first foundational truth for us today. Words are powerful. But here's the second truth that builds on it. Words are powerful to destroy. James continues with from some very descriptive and bleak language. See how great, this is verse uh, 5. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world, world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. I want you to remember this phrase for the next few minutes. And sets on fire the course of our life. And is set on fire by hell. James paints this bleak picture. Not only are words powerful, that's foundational, but they are really powerful to mess some stuff up in my life and your life. If we're not careful. Some of you remember at kind of the, the, the height of what was a crazy year of 2020. Out of nowhere in Southern California, COVID wasn't enough. And so somebody decided to do something that actually set off a massive forest fire. It was known as the El Dorado Fire. I have a picture of it here. This fire, I mean, it was all over the news for a long time. This fire burned 10,000 acres in, in, in the San Bernardino area. I mean, homes were destroyed. Firefighters, firefighters were killed. I mean, this was a massive news story. Like if 2020 couldn't be bad enough, Southern California is on fire. Like a lot of it. And so after they finally got this contained, after days and days and days of fighting this fire, the smoke began to clear and the officials got to work to say, what on earth started this massive fire? 
I mean, surely like a bomb went off somewhere, right? Surely somebody set like 15 bonfires up at the same time and, and in a weird cosmic reaction, it all went up in flames. Or, or, or maybe like a truck with gasoline had a wreck and it just exploded and started this fire. What could start a 10,000 acre carnage across Southern California? Some of you guys know the story, but as they discovered what it was that started this fire, it wasn't any of those things. It was one of those pink and blue smoke bombs that people use to tell the social media world that they're having a boy or a girl on a gender reveal party. You talk about feeling terrible. Something went amiss. They dropped it. It was a, it was a faulty product. Out of that little tiny spark, 10,000 acres, carnage, destruction. This is what James is saying here. I wanted us to see that picture because I want us to understand how powerful our words are to destroy. And I want to be sensitive here because I understand even as I'm saying that, some of you guys are thinking of wounds and hurts and ways that you have been destroyed by words. If I asked this question as a thought experiment and said, hey, what is the most discouraging thing anybody has ever said to you? Immediately you're thinking of things that have just completely wrecked you. You're not having to think about the details because you've been carrying it maybe for months, maybe for years, maybe for decades. The power of a small spark that set the course of your life on fire. You and I can say something in 10 seconds that I forget about 10 seconds later that the person I said it to carries for 10 years or more. Talk about being humbled as I look at my four little kids that sometimes I got to discipline and sometimes I cross the line and maybe say something I shouldn't or say something to my wife and I'm going, man, God help me not set a fire to their lives because of what I just said to them. We praise God for his grace, but this is a moment we might need to sit in. The power of words to destroy. That's why Proverbs 12, 18 says it very clearly. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword. Some of you right now are thinking about those times that those sword, that sword has thrust into you. But the tongue of the wise bring healing. A small spark can set fire to our lives. What does that look like? I thought to be helpful, if, to give us some, some, some boundaries to this, I thought of just a few. I made a quick list of what are some of these things. What are some of these sparks that in the moment it doesn't seem like a big deal, but we don't realize they have the power to destroy? It's criticism, unnecessary criticism. It's, it's sarcasm, it's lying, it's rudeness, it's vulgar language, it's, it's boasting, it's blasphemy, it's gossip, it's flattery. It's the way I use my words that I don't even, I just flippantly say. And I'm not realizing how much pain they may be causing. I grew up, like I said, here in Vegas, and I'm going to be real transparent for a moment. I thought a couple times about sharing this, but I'm going to be real transparent. I grew up here, and, and I've joked about it before, and some of you guys know me and know my story, but, like, I was, like, small, small growing up, like, like real small growing up. I was 4'11", 85 pounds, going into my 10th grade year at basic high school. Some of you guys are doing the math going, like, that's like my elementary school kid. Yes, that was me. Rolling into basic high school, sophomore, trying to pick up some ladies, right? Like, are you my little brother, right? Like, that was my life. 
And I joke about it now and praise God, God's done a lot of work in my life. But it was like, it was the thing in my life that I was like, why am I so small? Because I would go to the school and back in elementary school, I'd be picked last for every team. It didn't matter if I could catch a ball or run fast. It didn't matter because Scott is too short. So they'd call me, and this is kind of funny now, they'd call me shorty or they'd call me shrimp. And even now as I kind of unpacked that this week in my own heart, I was like, how are those words that are so trivial still in me today? I would go home and I would cry to my mom. I said, why am I so short? Why am I so small? And all I can say is, listen, praise God for puberty and growth spurts. Amen? Amen. <laughs> praise God. I like showed up my junior year of high school and people were like, who is that? I'd be like, I am a man. You know, like I was excited. <laughs> but here's what that did in my life. It mo- I've, I've never really teased this out until this week. It motivated in me something that that still exists today. It's like this drive and this passion to show you, it doesn't matter how small I am, I'm gonna be the fastest person out there. It doesn't matter how insignificant you think I am, I'm gonna prove to you that I'm not insignificant. And I'm not like short, like I'm kind of normal now, I think maybe five, nine-ish, I'm there, I'm average for America. And I'm not like tripping about being short, but there's still something in me because of the words spoken to me 20, 25 years ago that I still carry into my day-to-day life today. And here's where God got me. I have the capacity right now unintentionally to look at my sons and my daughters. And they're not, they're not like Scott short. I mean, they're little people because me and my wife are little people. But they're not like Scott little people. But still, even though they're not getting the criticism, they're not getting the harsh words, I still am trying to motivate them, get this, by the same words sometimes that I was wounded by. I'm unintentionally wounding my kids now with those same words and some sort of jacked up response to the words that hurt me. And I would be willing to bet you look at the harsh, destructive words that you speak. You could probably trace them back to some harsh and destructive words that were spoken to you. And as you can tell, that wrecked me. And it made me realize, man, James ain't playing around here. These things can set fire to our lives. James goes on, he kind of goes on this funny rant in verses 7 and 8. He starts talking about animals. He says the beasts and the reptiles and all these things, they can be tamed. But you can't tame the things you say. We understand that. You can teach dogs There's like entire Instagram channels just with dogs doing cool tricks. You can go to SeaWorld with your family and watch a killer whale right up next to a little human doing all kinds of cool tricks. You can go to a a zoo and see a deadly snake being trained and tamed or or a monkey that's sitting around doing math. We see this. And so James is saying, all those things are true even back when James wrote this, but you and I just flippantly use these words that destroy. So again, I think this is way too practical a stuff just to run by, take some notes on a sermon and not let it sit for a minute. Where is it right now for you where God is putting his finger on something in your life and saying, hey, that's something that needs to be dealt with today. You can't just go around saying, I grew up in an angry family, that's why I'm just angry. I grew up in a critical family. That's just, I just am who my parents are and I'm just growing up and I'm just going to speak critically. It's just who I am. I'm just a blunt speaker. I just say what's on my mind. 
What Jesus said, you say what's in your heart. And sometimes that needs to be dealt with, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. And I'm not preaching to anybody more than me. He continues on. With it, that's our words, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. We've understood this. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. So I love, there's a little bit of glimmer of hope there. It's the first time James kind of gives us a glimmer of hope. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. So here's the third truth that I want to I encourage you with today, praise God. Words are also powerful to build up. There's another option for us here as Jesus followers. Words are powerful to build up. James continues this and talks about this idea from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. I'm sure you've experienced what I've experienced, right? Like we're at this right now, if, if you're online, you're not in the room, but we're in the room right now. We just experienced great worship. And maybe you've been like me, like there's been times I've come to church and I'm not on stage and I'm with my family and, and I'm just getting after the Lord. They're singing all the right songs. It's like hitting extra. Like it's just hitting different that day. And I'm stoked about it. And then the guy gets on stage and preaches from the word and I'm taking notes and I'm just loving everything that's going on. And I'm having some church in my own heart. And I love everything going on. I'm walking out of the lobby, waving to people. Yeah, God bless you, brother. I'm good. Some of you know where I'm going with this. Then I get in the minivan with the wife and the four kids. And I look behind me and my kid, that one that you know who I'm talking about, has not put his seatbelt on for the thousandth time. And I turn around and I'm laughing, but it happens. And I just lose my mind on this kid. This is what James is saying. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. With it, we praise our Father, and with it, we destroy people made in His image. I have a God time, and I'm just like, man, God is so good. I'm taking notes, I'm journaling, I'm drinking coffee. I'm like, God is amazing. I put my Bible down. I'm, I'm like, this is the best day ever. I walk out to the kitchen, my wife says something sideways to me, and I just lose my mind, right? I think we're laughing because we've all experienced it. James is saying, this ought not be so. Let's be honest. This is one of those things that we don't really like bring to the Lord and say, hey, this probably isn't something that should be happening in my life. That's what I did this week. I'm looking at my life going, man, this, this is big stuff. And I just excuse it away sometimes. James here is saying, as you have the, the works that come out of your faith, the way you speak, the way I speak should be one of them. Because I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a serial, I say what I think kind of guy. The guy I was making fun of earlier, that's me. My, my, my mom used to tell me all the time, hey, think before you speak. So this week, I, again, as you study for a message on the tongue and, spe and speech and how you use your words, you're going to be very careful. So I'm on high alert this week on how I use my words. And let me tell you, you don't have to look very far in your life, uh, maybe like an hour into the day before you realize, man, there's opportunities to blow this thing right now. There's just things that are hitting me from all sides. There is constant opportunities for me to, to use language that's too harsh or to criticize or to be sarcastic or to lie or to do all the things that James is talking about in this passage. Why? Because out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. So again, James is getting really practical, encouraging us, watch 
your words. It's not an unspiritual secondary thing. And he finishes. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? Or a vine produce figs? Nor salt water produce fresh. We understand this, right? He's saying that wouldn't be normal. You go home today after the service and you go to make some, some mac and cheese for your kids and you go to get the water in the pot and all of a sudden some water from you thought it would be your purified, awesome thing you spent a lot of money on to get great water for your family and all of a sudden some water from Lake Mead starts coming out. You'd be like, what is going on? Something is wrong. That's what James is saying here. He's saying this shouldn't be so. We should be different. As we walk out our faith, the faith alone that has saved us, but faith that saves is never alone. One of the outworkings, don't, don't, don't remember or don't forget that, that James, when it was written, it was just a letter, right? We added all the, all, the, all, the, all the verses and the chapters and everything. So as soon as he talks about faith without works is dead, the next thing he talks about is our words. We had to break it and give you a week to come back to a sermon. But a lot of times we break these things up in our hearts and our heads. This is literally the next thing he said after he talked about your faith being worked out. Again, watch your words. They matter. I'll end with an illustration. I've actually shared this before, but I gave my life to Jesus as a almost senior in high school. Between my junior and senior year, I went to a summer camp. I didn't grow up in church. I went to a summer camp, I heard the gospel, God saved me. I mean, I look back and that was in 2003 and God saved me. But I always am very, I'm very uh, uh, sensitive to people who give their lives to Christ because all of you have been there if you're a Jesus follower. I don't know if it was 10 days ago or 10 decades ago, but you remember there's kind of this weird in-between time where like I know theologically I am saved. Like I've crossed over from death to life. I understood that very clearly, but I got on the bus to come back to Las Vegas. And honestly, I didn't really feel a lot different. Like I'm thinking about going back to my skateboard and going back to my friend circle. And I'm trying to process all this. And thank God, God sent a guy named Frank into my life. He was a leader at the camp and a leader at the church that I went to camp with. And Frank invited me to a movie with some people. And I didn't realize then, and I'm not even trying to be dramatic, but that invite to the movie would change my life. Because I started getting connected with some people that knew Jesus and were walking with him. And Frank said, hey, why don't we meet up? I know you're a new believer. Why don't we meet up and we can just study the Bible together. Never take for granted how small invitations like that could change people's lives. So every day for about four or or every week, I'm sorry, for about four or five years, Frank and I would meet at the Starbucks on Stephanie and Horizon Ridge. Bible's open, a ton of questions. Listen. If you grew up in Las Vegas, not in church, skateboarding all over the city, and your favorite band for like a decade was Blink-182, chances are you were probably not very wholesome. If you don't know who Blink-182 is, don't worry about it. Don't Google it. Just trust me. And so I'm loving Jesus, but I'm talking all kinds of crazy. And I'll never forget one day, Frank looked at me. I don't know how long it was. I wish I could remember. I know it wasn't day one, keep that in mind. Day one, we're not all gonna be looking like Jesus. It's a process. But there was a moment where Frank looked across the table at me after I was talking and just being me, probably sharing all kinds of words, talking about how much I bleepity bleepy love Jesus. And he looked at me and he said, 
Scott, I've been having, wanting to have this conversation for a while. He said this, and it stuck in my head. I asked him if he remembered. He said yes. He told me this. He said, Scott, the way you speak is inconsistent with who you now are. And I wish I could say in that moment, I said, man, thank you, brother. Man, that just blessed me. No. I'm like, what do you mean? Because I didn't know any better. But I had a brother in Christ love me enough to look across the table and say, hey, Scott, I've been walking with you for a while. We've been studying the Bible. You've been growing in Christ. But I want you to know the way you speak matters. And the way you speak is inconsistent with who you now are. Listen, and I'm not here to be the Holy Spirit for anybody. That's his job. But I share that story because I think a lot of us don't think our words are very spiritual. The problem is some of us have been walking like that way for years or decades and acting like we're just totally rocking and rolling in our Christian faith. But maybe today the word of God will bear some weight on our lives to say, listen, words are powerful. They're powerful to destroy and they're powerful to build up. Thank you for listening to the Hope Church LV podcast. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Have a great rest of your day.